Hello, everybody. Welcome back into Locked On Suns, probably Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, I'm your host, Evan Satter. I'm joined by co-host Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at eSatter. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You can also follow our Locked On Suns page on our at Locked On PHX Suns. Just put it over there. as very much appreciated, as always. We're joining us today on our, our Wednesday episode, talking about some very fun over-under best worst-case scenarios, so to say, for you guys. We've hit on a few of them throughout the offseason here, but really doing a deep dive into a lot of these and really just getting all of our thoughts out in one place here, Brennan. As far as today's show goes, how do you want to overlay this for the audience? Well, we should just start with probably the the bigger picture stuff, I think. Um, yeah, not so much like over or under as far as like, you know, point totals or anything like that from a gambling perspective, but really just what the best case for some of the changes that have been made here and the very worst case. Uh, and I think that's important to consider as we like really get close to this season. Uh, you know, I think we have a fair bit of optimism even more than really, I think at any point that we've been doing this show or covering this team based on the changes that were made from top to bottom. Uh, we've, we've explained that, like you said, at various points throughout the off season, but there's also, especially when you're looking at a team that, that has had bad luck and, kind of shot itself in the foot many a time over the past decade or so. I think it's fair to, to wonder what the worst case looks like. So we'll do both. And uh, I, I mean, we can just start with the record. I mean, we went through for our schedule, really kind of dived in and, and just did a October to April game by game prediction. But what do you think the the bottom falling out for this team from a record standpoint looks like we talked about some of the road trips that'll be difficult. We talked about how the beginning of the season could really put them behind the eight ball and they will have to make up ground over the second half of the year. That is a challenging thing to do for a young team with a, a new head coach. It's not easy to just assume that they'll kick it into gear and make up ground in that second half and get to 30, 35 wins. But uh, where do you think things could go wrong there? And what do you maybe think is, a low estimate for what the record could be. Yeah, as far as the worst case scenario goes, just to let listeners know, I believe our records were, I picked 32 and 50, you went 34 and 40, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's what yeah, you that went there. Right. That's interesting because I think that's one of our best case scenarios. But as far as the worst case scenarios go, and they can even be better than the records we predicted there, to be honest, Brendan. But for the worst case scenarios, I think a lot of it depends on the new guys and what could happen there. If Rubio doesn't adjust well, Dario Saric, if DeAndre does take that leap forward. And if also the coaching staff, Monty Williams, if he's not up to par, so to say, we think he's going to be a top 15 coach in the NBA, to be honest. I think he's one of those guys who could really rally his team together and get them going in all facets and all levels of this organization. But uh, I think the floor of this team is 25 wins. It could seem harsh, but like you mentioned there, Brennan, there's going to be a really tough schedule for the first two months of the season, October, November, December, and, and really a little bit of January as well before it softens up a little bit for them as we go into the Eastern Conference slate. Uh, I could see 25 wins being a floor there. I think that's a – uh, it's not 19 wins. It's not that bad, but I think 25 for this kind of talent on the team would be a pretty bad season. I do too. I mean, do you think there's any way that they fall as far as they were last year down to below 20? Or do you think that the veterans and, and kind of uh, cohesion of this roster is just preventing that floor from falling out to that extent this season? Yeah, I think that that's what it is. The bottom of the roster last year was just full of inexperienced young guys. And then now you have these actual experienced players who've played regular NBA minutes, even playoff minutes for this team. But knock on wood here, I'm literally knocking on my computer here as I'm talking. If there's no injury to Booker, 
or eight. And I think this team is going to definitely avoid that 25, 19 win mark, so to say. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, I feel like there's really no way that they are as bad as they were last year. So even a, a worst case, I think you're still going to see progress in the, in the win column and you're still going to see a team that's much more competitive on a night-to-night basis, staying in games, not getting blown out. All of the things that really made it so difficult for them to win games. I also think, you know, part of this discussion, I don't think we need to do a separate category for it, but part of this discussion to me is about injuries. I, I really feel like, especially in that middle of the season, January, February, pri- uh, prior to the trade deadline and, and all-star break, was about as bad a stretch of injury luck as you can think of for an NBA team. Uh, Dragon Bender starting games when he was out of the rotation just like a month prior. And, you know, guys off the scrap heap, Quincy AC, Eric Moreland, uh, really playing decent-sized roles in some games because of the way that Booker and Ayton and, and the injuries there hampered that team, So or this team. So I think that injuries will have to, to trend in the positive direction. Uh, I think Ayton will probably play more than 70 games because I think they'll be more aggressive trying to get guys and keep guys on the court and not tank. I think Booker, you know, we, we all expect him to be healthier. He, he took the summer to recover he was healthy at the end of last season so all of that makes me think too that injuries won't be as much of a problem which is also going to just scoot the total of wins in the positive direction one that goes in the same kind of area as we talk about win totals and and the record is lottery position in 2020 I mean we we don't necessarily cover as other teams as extensively as this one of course but just kind of a quick survey of the landscape here where would you expect, I think a lot of the lottery teams will come from the East. Uh, the top lottery teams will come from the East this year, but where would you think the Suns will be if we do expect them to be somewhere between 25 and 35 wins? I think if not mistaken, that's probably around like the eight to 10 range as far as the lottery goes. I'll have to look at the numbers there exactly, but I think it's around that range. I think that seems realistic for them. And to be honest, I think the worst case scenario for this team, if there is injuries, if they just don't gel together, they could be a top five team again in this draft class. And that's just, I would hate to do that, Brennan, but we've been talking about the draft almost exclusively since December of each basketball season. I really hope we can avoid that this year. I certainly do too. Um, I think it's two pronged. I know no one wants to hear about the draft, but the reality is this team is still young, still building and still um, a few pieces away. And, you know, every team should be looking to, to, to improve and get better through the draft. So I, I understand fans will be tired of just harping on it endlessly, but I think there also is a point in, in having at least one eye on June as we make our way through this season. And this draft is deep uh, in point guards especially. And so, you know, we, we lauded the front office for getting Ricky Rubio, and I think reasonably so, but even if they're in that, you know, let's say 7 to 12 range in the lottery just because we really have no idea how the season will break. They're going to be able to get some good players. So I think, you know, it does make sense to still look at the 2020 draft as an opportunity to add to this young core, which is a great place to be in where you can be taking steps forward with the roster that you already have in place, a fairly young roster in place, and win some games that way and still be able to add to it. So that's a good spot to be in. Uh, I don't think people should see that as a negative. 
Let me ask you this real quick, though, because what we know about the front office and what we've heard from James Jones this time last year at Brightside Night in January, and we also heard him talk about it after the drafting, even though he's a little vague toward us, as I've always mentioned, just I think that's for by design for him. I really believe they're a top five team this draft next year, Brandon, they're going to trade that pick. Like if it goes bad like that, they're going to go push all their chips in and try to be a playoff team. Because at that point, if I'm in Devin Booker's position, to be honest, if I'm on another 25, sub 25 win team, I'm starting to just think about myself as far as like what's going on here. I think that they might press the panic button there. Yeah. I mean, if they're in the top five, I definitely agree with you. I, I feel like it would be tough for me to see. I mean, even 25 wins, like that's still not you know if we look at last season that that still puts them in the what like five or six range right so I really have a hard time seeing them falling to the very seller I think there's going to be a lot of these teams that are pretty bad between the Wizards Cavs Knicks um, you know Hornets that's four teams that I'm positive will be worse than the Suns and that's just in the east so I think they'll be making progress and I think that you know we saw them trade back from six this year. I agree with you that if, if things really fall out from underneath, there will be some panic happening. I just, as we talked about with the record, I, I, I just don't necessarily see that happening. And just as a general thought about the, the possibility of trading the pick, I do think you're right that they'll continue to see the draft as a means. We, we saw it on three or four occasions just in this first draft under James Jones was to use the use draft night as an opportunity to really wheel and deal and change around the roster uh, holistically rather than just finding one guy who you're going to make your savior. And I think maybe that's the smart way to approach the draft. I don't know. We'll see how it works this year, but um, even if they trade the pick, that's still in my opinion, using a pick to improve your team, right? It's not drafting Nico Mannion, but if it's trading for Aaron Gordon, that's still a valuable way to, to utilize the, you know, the negativity of a bad season to flip a pick for a good player and continue to improve your team. So I don't know what they'll do with the pick, but I do think it's it's not necessarily a bad thing to continue to be in the lottery because this team's not going to compete for a championship. And if you're not going to compete for a championship, then I'd much rather have the seventh pick than the 15th. No, that's a great point you bring up there. I'm right there with you. I think just under James Jones moving forward, I think he's going to use those those draft picks, unless you're an upperclassman who can shoot the ball well just from one draft that we've known, and even including Mikhail this time last year. I think that they're going to use that as far as like an asset goes. And that's if they finish in the top five again, that's going to be a really key asset, maybe for like a Blake Griffin, Aaron Gordon, like we were talking about earlier in the summer. But let's talk about our next one here, Brian, which is trading the 2020 Bucks pick, which was in that draft night trade, if everyone forgets, Ty Jerome and Aaron Baines, they acquired via the Boston Celtics. The Celtics got that 2020 Bucks pick in return. What, looking back on it now, I think we both were up to the idea of it because we both, like talked on the last episode, we thought Baines is a goner right away. But what do you think is the best and worst case scenario here as far as the 2020 Bucks pick goes? I think just best case scenario here, I think Ty Jerome could prove himself immediately as a, a key backup in this in this league and I think he could he really could do that I'm really higher on him the more I watch him and Aaron Baines could really be an immediate contributor but I think the only worst case scenario that could happen here Brian is that if the Celtics somehow use that pick trade up or trade for a star with that pick somehow or if Giannis gets hurt next year yeah I'm more in the camp of really the only negative possibility there is if the Bucks underperform I mean I think once the Celtics you know they have that pick now what they do with it isn't going to really make me regret what the Suns did because that doesn't really have anything to do with the calculation of the Ty Jerome deal on draft night this season. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of feel like 
you know, I didn't feel worse about the Mikhail Bridges trade once that pick was used to get Tobias Harris. It didn't really affect things for me so much. So uh, I, I personally just kind of think the, the, the real worst case scenario is if Giannis gets hurt or somehow really the Bucks just take a, a massive step back. I think they will take a small step back. I don't think they'll be a 60 win team necessarily. Uh, it, I, you know, I don't know. I don't really know. Maybe they'll just stock up on Eastern conference wins and whatever. They'll definitely be probably picking 25 to 30. I don't think there's really anything that would stop them. And if he does get hurt, then you can't, you can't use the possibility of a superstar missing a season as a part of a, a value play and a deal. Right. So, you know, I think like you said, Ty Jerome is the, is the, the key focus here. And the worst case scenario for me there would be, that the guy doesn't pan out and he's not an NBA player. I don't think that's likely. I think there's a pretty good floor on his skill set as a, a long-time you know, journeyman backup point guard. There's a lot of those guys that have long careers. Um, so I think Jerome's really the key here. And, and I guess the value you get out of Baines too, right? If, if the experience with Baines, uh, best case scenario, is the experience with Baines really helps DeAndre Ayton, then that's a great sign too. Um, I think that's a best case here. Um, as far as stick, sticking with the standings, um, one last one, a quick one here. What, what do you think we'll be able to tell from that draft night deal with the Timberwolves from this year's draft in year one? Do you think there's anything, any sort of proclamations we'll be able to make? I think a lot of that hinges on, on, on Dario Saric and if he can make progress as somebody nearing his physical prime and fit well with DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, really, you hit the nail on the head there as far as Sarge goes, because if he proves himself to be Philadelphia version of him, then it's going to be a steal of a trade for them. Maybe not a steal. I mean, that's the wrong word there, but I think it's going to be more of an equal trade than we saw on draft night when we originally graded it, because we're, we were both in the camp brand that Jared Cole was kind of that jumbo primary ball and another guy like Luka Doncic in 2018, not even close to Luka as far as what he can do, but that kind of player that fits well to Dunn Booker, he can do the defense and all that. They kind of get got that done with Ricky Rubio, but I feel like Culver could have been a long-term play they could have really used on this team. I think he fits really well at the core they have. And if Jared Culver pops off very early in Minnesota, and he, he's going to be playing with a similar big like DeAndre and Carl Anthony Towns. So if those two gel early together and, and Culver makes an all-rookie first team, then I might be – and Sarge struggles as well, then I might be looking back on the trade being like, shoot, they should have just kept that pick and just taken Culver. You're not wrong there. I think, you know, just as – as we look back, I think it definitely won't feel good if Culver and Brandon Clark both play extremely well. Those are two guys that I think not just fans, but, you know, just national draft analysts and anyone who was watching that situation closely expected those two guys to be legitimate candidates for the Suns. They pass on both to take Cam Johnson. I don't think we'll, I don't think it's smart to make any sort of massive judgment on Johnson in year one, just like it's not really with Jerome, but if those two guys really stand out and, and play a lot better than, than Cam Johnson, it will be a little bit painful, I'm sure, in the Suns front office to see that. But uh, the charge thing, I think, is, is, a, is a part of it, and I think you're right that the other guys performing poorly or well will, will hurt. Probably not something we'll have a firm sense of after just one season watching these players in the league, but definitely uh, something that was a massive part of the Suns storyline of this summer. And uh, you know, it'll it'll play a big part in, in their future, too. So worth monitoring, definitely. One quick point there on Sarge. We're in this segment here, Brandon. How 
I know the rookies are a lot different as far as timetables and grading them goes, but Sarge is a seasoned veteran here. I think entering year five, how quickly will we know if he fits here or not? Because, I mean, Ryan Anderson, we knew like in the first 10 minutes of this first game that he was going to fit here. And Ariza kind of just stopped trying after the first 10 games. When do you think we'll know that about Dario? Yeah, I mean, I think there's – I mean, he's never been awful, right? So even with Minnesota last year, he wasn't a great player, but he – Ryan Anderson was just you you were going to just lose games if he played minutes right that that's a whole separate level I think Dario will be fine I think it'll be fine or great I don't think there's really much of a possibility outside of injury that it goes completely south but how about you yeah I agree with you I think him ever reaching Ryan Anderson level is not going to happen but if he let's say he has like the first 17 games in Philadelphia through a whole season with Phoenix, then that's, I think that's a really bad look for the front office just to make that trade. And, but, I mean, it's a good bet to make as Dario is a guy who I think fits this team, the style they want to play, adding Ricky Rubio to that equation as well. But if he's not really spacing the floor correctly, if he's not physically in shape like we want him to be, then I think it's time to question that move pretty heavily by like December or January if things still aren't going well. That's totally fair. You're right. All righty, guys. Before we go on to our next, I mean, we're going to be diving into even more best and worst case scenarios. I want to tell everyone really quickly about our sponsor of today's show, which is Peloton. Can't find a workout that keeps you engaged? Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real-time features that will always keep you coming back. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, to get started. All right, Brennan, which best worst case scenario do you want to start off with next? Let's do Monty Williams, uh, kind of the coaching change here. I think it's another one similar to, you know, rookies. This is not a rookie coach, but certainly coming back to head coaching after a long departure and a long road with different stops and different job titles. Monty Williams is somebody that I think the league will be watching and what he can do with, I think, being the most experienced and accomplished and um, most deserving guy to be filling this position in several years, probably since Alvin Gentry was the head coach in Phoenix. But also just the the loss of Igor Kakashkov. Is there any way you could see the Suns regretting this this switch? Is there anything that could happen where you feel like you would feel worse about the firing of Kakashkov and the hiring of Williams? I feel like the only way is that this offense tanks. Because we saw some nights where Igor's offense was really humming at points. But I think the reason why they got rid of Igor and the more we just learn about Monty Williams, the coach and the man himself – I feel like he's going to command the respect of the locker room. I don't think Igor really had that. We saw it throughout the year with the, McHale, the weird McHale schism in Portland that I still found really odd to look at back even now. And then we also look at him saying he was embarrassed to play, not get minutes for Troy Daniels, and he went back on that multiple times, not really playing him much. I, I feel like it was almost an accountability thing with Igor, and you can tell just I don't think the players are bought into his system or really, really ever trusted him as far as being a coach goes and his demeanor as well. I feel like – him not sticking up for the players that often as far as technical fouls go until he really knew his job was on the line. I think that kind of said a lot to me personally that we didn't really talk about that much in February when it was happening. But I feel like Monty's a completely different animal as far as that goes because he's, he's a demanding coach. He's a very respectful coach and one who I think is a good X's and O's coach as well. So I think it's going to be an all-around good move for the team. But the only way I could see it not happening is if for some reason there's a mutiny in the locker room or something they just don't buy into what Monty's saying. Yeah, I mean, you list it all off there, and I think those are all factors in, in Monty's favor. I just think at this point in the franchise's uh, trajectory, their building path right now, and the way that the front office now operates and kind of the, 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 the mindset and the culture that 
James Jones wants here. I just think Monty is is kind of a no-brainer to match all of those different challenges facing this franchise. Whereas Igor, I think, should be an, should have another opportunity as a head coach, probably will have another opportunity as a head coach, but I'm not positive that that is uh, with a team like the Suns. And and so I, I honestly don't think there's really a worst-case scenario. I don't think it can get much worse than it was in Igor's first season here. So, you know, there's really nowhere to go but up. And for better or worse, I think Monty will get the credit for that. And that's just kind of how things go, right? That's just like Jones will be lauded for taking the Suns out of the dark days of the Ryan McDonough era. I think Monty will get credit from improving the team, even if it's not always fair to give credit to just one in one direction or the other in those, in those situations. But uh, where do you want to go next here? Yeah, I think we should go to moving Devin Booker off the ball because I think that's just an interesting aspect we're going to see more often of this year as far as that goes. Because with Ricky Rubio in town now, I think they're going to allow Booker to play more off the ball, and that's going to help him out a lot. As you look at his career catch-and-shoot numbers, are close to 40%. His career pull-up shooting, though, is near 30%, which is a huge discrepancy. And I think that's going to help out Booker a lot because he can serve his energy with Rubio. And the only way I don't see it working out as far as a worst case goes, I think the best case scenario is we see a, a really fully locked in Booker and he's really firing from all centers from three, shooting near 30, 38, 39, 40% from three this year, which would be very much needed for the Suns roster to leap this year. But the worst case scenario, I think, would just be him not gelling with Rubio, which I don't think, I don't see how that's not going to happen because Rubio's not really a, a selfish player, so to say. And I really just don't see how the Rubio signing, the more we look at it and the more we really dive into it. We kind of hit on a lot in the Kings show we were doing as far as comparing this team to the 18-19 Kings. Rubio's kind of that linchpin. If he does play well, I feel like he's going to help out the team a lot and moving Booker off the ball in some situations and letting him do maybe point book a few minutes per game, like closing situations. I feel that makes a lot more sense than, than really driving it into the ground through 48 minutes. Yeah, and the good thing too is you have such a stylistic difference between Rubio and Tyler Johnson that – you don't you're not married to having Booker be, you know, in a JJ Reddick role. You can get a little bit creative, have Tyler Johnson on the court. We, you know, we've talked about some of the other wing and forward heavy lineups with, you know, like we saw them try to do last year. I think they have the personnel to pull it off even better this year with Cam Johnson and Dario Sharich around where they could go, you know, Booker, McHale, Ubre, Sharich, Ayton is one that I've talked about a little bit here and there. And uh, so while I think he will be off the ball a ton, I think the the more important point to make is that they really just added a new dimension. They didn't change the core identity of their team to having Booker be Kyle Korver. They they just changed the the makeup of the roster to look more uh, creative and flexible. So I think that's the point here, and I think that is going to be a success. You know, the worst case is I think. Booker becoming frustrated. I think that's really the only thing because I think his efficiency will jump. I think the overall offensive efficiency of the team will jump in the positive with the new additions on this roster. I think the only thing is maybe the the stagnation of Booker's development as a playmaker and or just his, his attitude and, and mentality being negatively affected if he is just uncomfortable in that role. But, you know, I, th- I don't think he's going to throw a fit. He's definitely going to be happy to win some games and and have an easier load on him so I really just I think that's the worst case but I think it's a pretty unlikely worst case 
Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think there's really not much downside to the Booker off the ball idea, at least experimenting more with it as he's more of a natural catch and shoot guy. I think it makes a lot of sense for them. I think the next one we close, close at this segment with Brian is our guy, D'Anthony Melton, because I know our, our son's listeners know by now that we're kind of, we drove the D'Anthony Melton train all the way till it's ending there. Then he got traded in a salary dump with Josh Jackson at Memphis for Kyle Korver, who was bought out, and then Javon Carter, who's now technically his replacement. I think we both agree that D'Anthony Melton's a better player than Javon Carter. What do you think is the best and worst case as far as if Melton – I think the best case for me personally is if Melton maybe stagnates. I really don't know how to say it. Like, he just doesn't improve much in Memphis, but I think there's a real chance from a worst-case idea that he turns into the player we saw flashes of last year on a more consistent basis backing up John Morant, and he's that pest. He's the guy who improves his shooting a little bit more. I feel like he could have been an ideal long-term backup on the Suns. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're always going to regret what could have been there, and he really did show signs of promise. I know fans didn't necessarily agree with our viewpoint on that, that he was that there was reason for optimism. I don't think many fans, as far as I could tell, were that upset about losing Melton. But I, I think on offense, for him to be able to make an impact the way that he did, even if it was, even if it was fairly inconsistent, was promising. And then obviously the defense really translated right away, especially – uh, as a team defender, he he was really just a, a breath of fresh air here. So, if he continues to to show signs on both ends, improves as a as an individual defender, and that shot and and decision making continue to come along, offensively in the half court, that's it's going to be tough. It's going to be a another Derek Jones Jr. type of situation where there's just a a, a loss an opportunity cost of the constant changeover in the front office. And I think that that's really what we have to blame here. Uh, you know, maybe another best case option for this is if Javon Carter does kind of break out in a way that we aren't expecting. I think that to me feels unlikely just because he really was never a very efficient offensive player in college. So expecting him to do that now is just, I think you're just kind of hoping for the unlikely there, but if he's really just becomes an incredible defensive player and, and just demands minutes because of how impactful he is defensively, maybe that, that helps you swallow that trade a little bit more, but it's tough. Um, oh, wow. We had Chuck Diallo's birthday when we recorded our last episode. We're recording this one on Saturday here for, for this upcoming week, and it's Javon Carter's birthday. Hey, happy birthday, Javon. And let's hope, hopefully he's getting <laughs> minutes this year because I, I think we both have a feeling that he might not be getting much minutes. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I don't know. He's older than Devin Booker. Like this guy is closer to a finished product than I think most second year players would be. So I think it's unlikely, but uh, I guess that can round out our kind of transaction portion. Oh no, let's, let's do these two real quick rapid fire here. So we got, Keeping Tyler Johnson and keeping Aaron Baines. Those are both um, – let's, let's just do Tyler Johnson here, and then we can do some salary stuff in the last segment. So what do you make of that decision? There was some weirdness with whether to pick up his – whether he was going to pick up his option and, and the timing of that, waiting until after the draft to do it, and then kind of hamstringing the Suns if they were interested in a draft night trade. Now he's still a pretty – one of the guys I would consider one of the top most likely players to be dealt this upcoming NBA season across the league. But I guess just what do you – do you think there's any negativity that could 
play into this season if he has some hard feelings or is just frustrated with leaving the only franchise he played for and suddenly uh, kind of being cast to the to a smaller role and not necessarily being being wanted? I, I think it's there's not much downside to keeping him because I know there was maybe a little bit of back and forth around the draft because we don't know exactly what happened there, but he definitely probably thought to himself he's getting traded on draft night. He waited until after the draft to accept his player option, which I found really interesting. But if, if I remember correctly in his um, end of season um, exit interview with us, he talked about Jamal Crawford and his role on the team and really how he wants to embrace that Jamal Crawford role as far as being a six man goes. So I think he's down for that idea, Brennan, but I think for me, just as far as the best case and worst case goes, he's a good six man on this team that he really thrives in that role. But the worst case is we see like the first 10 games of Tyler Johnson from last year where he didn't shoot the ball well at all. And that translates throughout a whole season. I don't see that happening to be honest as he gets more comfortable, but they drafted Ty Jerome for a reason. They definitely like Ty Jerome. And I think we're both on the same page there that if the Suns do believe they can find a piece as far as at the power forward spot or maybe another position, they want to maybe go somewhere else. I, I doubt that, but I think power forward spot, they want to go there. Uh, I think Tyra Johnson is the most likely guy to get traded on this team for sure. Yeah. And that's the best case. I think the best case is he helps you for the first, you know, 50 games of the season and is a, a really big part of that versatility in the backcourt that I was saying with Booker off the ball and then gets traded and, and you end up getting a, gr- a great player or, a, you know, a helpful promising young piece with that monster salary, 19.2, 19.4, whatever it is that he's owed this season. Um, and, and you kind of kill two birds with one stone and that's why they kept him because he's a good player. He's going to help them. And then he also has that added flexibility. And then, you know, it's, it's not like they're trading a guy they just signed and, and they're kind of shooting him in the foot there. It's like they're, he's going to play for that team for two months and then he'll be a free agent. I don't necessarily think that's the worst thing in the world. And he'll probably in most situations, like I would imagine he's going to be going to a good team or a, at least a, a competitive team. Cause I don't think a bad team will, will have any use for Tyler Johnson. So We'll see how it goes, but I do think it's another situation that kind of has a multiple uh, has a multitude of ending points. So we'll have to continue to see how productive he is on the court, and obviously will be a focal point of any trade discussions throughout the year. We will hit the Baines decision here after the break, but before we do so, I want to remind you guys to go over to the Locked On NBA feed, the national feed on our network. Check out everything going on there and keep up with the rest of the FIBA tournament as it closes here. I think the final is is coming up in just a couple days. And obviously previewing the NBA season as we approach the 2019-20 kickoff here in, what, five weeks? So go check out what's going on over there and give them the same love you give us. So Aaron Baines... We've we've gone through so much with him, even though we have not seen him in his son's jersey yet. There was the report that he was going to get bought out that we've gone over several times before, and then obviously now that did not happen, and they will be keeping him, and we're fairly optimistic about the impact he can have on and off the court for this group. Is the is the how likely do you see and and kind of how bad do you think it could get if if he is fresh? We really saw the the polar the one side of the poll with how bad it can get with a veteran who is not happy in Trevor Ariza's tenure here with the Suns. And I think we really saw a pretty positive outlook 
on everything from Ryan Anderson, who was not, and Jamal Crawford, to be honest, last season, where not getting consistent playing time, obviously not on a competitive roster, but still a positive presence off the court and somebody who kind of understood the situation they were in. Where where, where do you see it kind of going with Baines? Not, we don't know him. We've never talked to him. But from an outsider's point of view right now, where do you see this going? As far as a best-case scenario goes for this one, I think him being one of the better backup centers in the NBA is a real possibility because he just does all the dirty work and can be a good mentor for DeAndre. And that's another thing off the court here with Aaron Baines that I think more so than ever Rashawn Holmes was or even any other option they could consider. Baines is going to help Aiden in the details of the game that he really lacks right now as far as toughness and physicality in the screening game. It's going to help a ton as far as that goes. And I think the worst-case scenario is maybe he pulls a Tyson Chandler as far as maybe he doesn't want to be here. He wants to be a contender. I know Tyson didn't really do much in L.A. after he went there and the Lakers didn't make the playoffs. But is Baines want to win another ring? Because there is a real possibility that he might want to win another ring because he left a team that he signed up. I think he accepted the player option. And then a week or two later, he got traded, which I just thought was a bad look by Boston, to be honest. But Yeah, definitely. I think overall, if he wants to go to a contender and the Suns, let's say, are have 15 wins at the All-Star break, like a worst-case scenario is occurring for them, I could see James Jones, who's been a player who – does a lot good by the player's position goes. I think if Baines wants out, I think he's going to be granted a trade at the deadline. Yeah. And, you know, maybe even bought out if there isn't, I think that there will be a trade market for him, but you know, maybe if, if there's not, or if, if they don't see a trade they like, then they could just buy him out. I, I really do feel like though, um, at least I'm hopeful that a one season here that he could see that as an opportunity you know he's he's never really played with a big man like that he's been insane i guess andre drummond but that's it's not really close to what ayton is so maybe that really does kind of jump out to him as an exciting thing to do for a year and then he's only 33 or so 32 whatever it was so he'll have a chance in free agency next season to be to go wherever he wants to go, to be in contention for a ring. So I hope that he sees this as an opportunity because, you know, it is. But, you know, I get it if the competitiveness factor as he does, you know, start to near the end of his career might play a role. I mean, Ariza is not much older than he than, than Aaron Baines is right now, and he wasn't content here. So we'll see. But best, best case, I think, is he's a, a – consistent and impactful part of the everyday rotation sticks around all season and you know five years from now DeAndre Ayton saying yeah that second season when I was in Phoenix and or hopefully still in Phoenix but whatever when Aaron Baines was in Phoenix was really great for me and I still look back on that as a positive force and in what made me the player I am today that would be tremendous we won't know we won't know right away of course but I think there's a possibility it goes in that direction how about Frank Kaminsky the Suns decision to use the room exception on Frank Kaminsky. So I look at this from how does Kaminsky do, but also the opportunity costs of some of the good players that got snatched up on those deals across the league. Yeah, I think a, a worst case scenario here is that Kaminsky plays like he did. We talked about, on, I think, last Monday's episode, or last Friday, excuse me, talking about what could happen here with Frank Kaminsky. And if he plays like he did in the first half of last season, then it's just going to be a really bad look because they had options like Noah Vonley. I know he got signed for summer for the minimum, I believe, by Minnesota, which I found incredible after his good year in New York. Someone like him could have made an awful lot more sense if they wanted some aspect. But I feel like they really were targeting some sort of spacing here. And I wanted to go back and look at this floor spacers as far as fours go. There probably weren't that many outside of Dragon Bender who were available for the room exception. So I guess they just want to upgrade Kaminsky with Bender there. But if Kaminsky doesn't play well, it's going to be a bad look because they spent $5 million on him. But 
I think the best case scenario is he does play well. They accept his team option for next year, or they just decline it and agree to do maybe a shorter term uh, extension, maybe so to say, with the guy Kaminsky. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but something like that. I feel like if he's played statistically well, he's going to fit here for another year or so. But if he doesn't, it's just an easy cleanse your hands. He's gone after a year. Yeah, there's no real long-term punishment. I just think you could have gotten a good player. You know, I think that's the frustration. I know it doesn't necessarily occur in a vacuum because every team is going to have different options and, and different priorities. But you got, like, Ed Davis signed for the room exception. Uh, Rashawn Holmes signed for the room exception, who I think is probably a better player. Not somebody I think made sense after the Baines trade, but just you look at the, the individual players who got that contract. It, it does kind of put into perspective, you know, Garrett Temple, I think, was another one for the Nets. I think he's actually a guy who could have made sense here just as wing depth and, an, and another veteran. If you wanted to get a veteran in here who was going to play, which I think is kind of the hope for Kaminsky, even though he's not quite as old as Temple, that would have been good. I, I just think there were real options here that the Suns kind of just felt like they ignored. There were a lot of these guys too that we're talking about were still on the board. It's not like they were um, already snatched up and the Suns just missed out in those negotiations because other teams got to it first. This, these are players who were still there. They signed Kaminsky fairly early in free agency. So tough to understand the thinking really. But as far as spacers who could have been another option, the only one to mention here, I think this is my last thought on this is just Jermichael Green uh, for the Clippers. And he returned to the Clippers, so maybe that was always going to happen. Who knows? We won't ever know, I don't think. But that would have been perfect. And that was a guy a lot of us were talking about before free agency even started. And sure enough, signed for a very cheap deal and will, I think, play a pretty major role in that Clippers rotation on a, on a good team. So that one is one. If, if he plays well, will definitely hurt, I think, when you look at how similar – those players are and I think how much better green is to be frank we won't know this of course because we weren't flies on the wall in the room when this free agency was going on but what do you think the possibility was that let's say they uh talked to Jamichael Green and Garrett Temple and they just said hey thanks but no thanks your team isn't that good I want to go to a winning team do you think a lot of that I mean you look at the the, the roster right now a lot of their veterans were acquired via trade I don't know if they actually would have chosen to come to the Suns do you think that those optics still kind of stay in the organization right now as far as just being such a a losing team in the last three or four years if they wanted to just get free agents out, right? Definitely. I mean, I think that that's probably what we should assume until we hear otherwise. I think we, you know, there's a track record of guys turning away from this team for that reason. So it would not be unlikely to hear stories like that come out. But just in general, I think it's just tough. Justin Holiday, another one signed with the Pacers, not a great player, but another guy kind of like Garrett Temple, who I just think could have been a helpful part of the roster. Yeah, My I, last comment, I mean, I just think using it is better than not using it just to have some positivity there, right? Like we criticized the team for not using the room exception last summer. So having, even if it's Kaminsky and we're not bullish on his ability to continue to improve and make good on the value of that contract using that contract or, or using that, that spot on the roster, that salary cap mechanism is better than just leaving it open. So potentially, you know, we just kind of eat our words here, but it's tough to look at the guys who got that contract and not be disappointed that the Suns ended up choosing Kaminsky. Yeah. If you, hopefully, I mean, if we look at it, I mean, 
Kaminsky shouldn't play more than 10 minutes per game, 15 minutes per game this year. And if they shorten a rotation down to eight or nine guys, he's not going to play much at all. So hopefully maybe if he does prove us wrong, I mean, more than congrats to Frank, but I think we're both on the page that he's kind of the, the weird signing of the summer so far. And hopefully it's not much of an impact because the first half of last year at Charlotte, he kind of proved he might have been a guy like Dragon Bender who might be close to be on the NBA soon. But anything else you want to cover as far as today's show goes, Brendan? No, hope everybody enjoyed the positional breakdowns. And uh, we, we hope you stick with us for the rest of the season preview. Just a couple weeks until October now. Yeah, the, about we're recording here on September 14th. This will be released later in the week. But by the time you guys hear this, it'll be about less than two weeks away, I believe, for me today or just around two weeks. So it's closing in really fast here. And hope you guys are enjoying this offseason content here locked on. Sunday back to you guys for our next episode on Friday.